You're listening to Love Advice with Leanne. Caller, you're on the air. Uh, hi, Leanne. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> Why, in your professional opinion, do you never take my calls off the air? Is this Carl? Yep, it's Carl. I mean, we had a few dates. Everything was great, I thought. Uh... Well, you know, when you switch to GEICO, you could save a lot of money on car insurance. Okay, awesome. You should call them. I will. GEICO, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Reverend Carol Richardson. She is an intuitive healer, life coach, hypnotherapist, inspirational speaker, and the author of four books. Reverend Carol received her Master of Divinity degree from Vanderbilt University Divinity School, and she also holds a Bachelor's of Science in Psychology from Texas Christian University, and a Master of Public Health degree from the University of Texas Health Sciences Center at Houston. Reverend Carol and I will be having a wonderful conversation about her spiritual journey, her life's mission, and her latest book, Truth and Illusion, The Politics of Spirituality, How One Person's Lie is Another One's Truth. Good morning, Reverend Carol. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Johnny. I'm well. How are you? Wonderful. It's beautiful here in Dallas, Texas. We finally got the sun out, so we're excited about that. <laughs> That's great. We have not got the sun here in the Washington, D.C. area. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. Truth and Illusion, the Politics of Spirituality is an enlightening and revealing read. And I have to tell you, it is very well written. I love it. The essence of our spiritual being is beautifully captured and expressed. So congratulations to you. Thank you, Johnny. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Let's get started by getting to know you a little bit better. Give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. <laughs> okay. Quick <laughs> as a challenge, but um, I was actually born on the equator in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. My parents were really interesting people who chose to get Ivy League graduate degrees independently of each other in order to go be missionaries to the Congo. So that's how they met, and so they had this real intellectual focus, but also this emphasis on service and empowering people and making the world a better place. So I was raised with that and that emphasis, and um, my childhood was spent moving mostly every one or two years. We lived in three different countries in Africa and three Mm -hmm. different states in the U.S., and we bounced back and forth between the two continents constantly (laughs) the whole time I was growing up. So it was a very different childhood from most people, I think. Um, And then I um, went to Texas Christian University, and it was sort of, you know, standard education. And um, I was looking for ways to get back to Africa. Didn't didn't really end up doing that. Um, Met my late husband, got married in in San Antonio, Texas, and lived there briefly. Then went and worked on my master's in public health. We had two children, and then my husband died at the age of 34, Mm -hmm. suddenly of a cerebral aneurysm that hemorrhaged, leaving me with my seven-month-old son and my 22-month-old daughter while I was working on my master's in public health. And 
that changed things in my life, as mm-hmm. you can imagine. So I felt what is traditionally called or classically called a call to ministry. And so I finished the Master's in Public Health a year later and like 24 hours after I finished the degree, <laughs> moved with my two little tiny kids to um, Nashville, Tennessee to go to Vanderbilt and mm-hmm. um, discovered feminist theology, science and theology, liberation theology in general, um, environmental theology, basically just theology, and fell in love with it, discovered there's so much more academically that doesn't make it into the church in terms of biblical studies Mm -hmm. and theology that I just really, really loved. Very, very interesting. Now, you mentioned the fact that you had this calling. So what life's epiphany really led you to the Divinity School? Well, it was really my husband's death. I, mm-hmm. you know, it was just such a shock with two little babies and, um, you know, being left to raise them on my own. I just somehow the first couple weeks um, around his death, I just really believed that God loved me anyway. And I just had the sense that I really wanted to help people believe that God loves them even when they're going through tough times. Backtracking a little bit, you were obviously more of an intellectual person. What mm-hmm. led you to the study of psychology? Because the perception is someone who is a little bit more agnostic would like to study psychology in terms of learning about us humans, so to speak, from a scientific standpoint of view. Hmm. Well, for me, there's not... Uh a contradiction between science and spirituality. I think Mm -hmm. science and religion sometimes part ways, but that's Mm -hmm. because of some religions, (laughs) religious views. But science and spirituality, to me, really go together because um, it's the fullness of wanting to understand who and what we are that really appeals to me. Um, And I think that was true in high school, which is why I leaned that direction. Um, And then in college, I guess I enjoyed the psychology classes the most. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure. I don't remember my entire thought process back then, but it just kind of made sense to me at the time. I I, I always am the kind of person who wanted to know why. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's really my sort of overarching question in life is why. I want to understand everything. So that's been a part of me at least since high school. I remember I had one physics class, and it was at the American School of Kinshasa in the the Congo back when it was Zaire. Mm -hmm. I was the only girl in the class, and um, it was, you know, otherwise boys. And I just kept asking the teacher, why, why, why? And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. the teacher said, we don't ask why in physics, which, of course, is totally the opposite (laughs) of what's true about (laughs) physics. But um, I dropped it because I wanted to know why, you know. <laughs> so for me, whether it's science or spirituality, I have just always mm-hmm. wanted to know why. Very interesting. When did you first experience your gift of intuitive writing? Well, I, things changed for me when my husband died. I had some spiritual mm-hmm. experiences that I couldn't explain I mean, I was raised by intellectual parents, so their religious views were very intellectual, Um, not so much about converting as serving and um, being intellectual. So I really hadn't been familiar with spiritual or mystical experiences, but when I was at Vanderbilt Divinity School, I started 
experiencing, you know, ideas coming to me that certainly were not my sitting around and figuring things out. So I'd have to really say it was at Vanderbilt Divinity School that I started writing intuitively. Um, I actually won the prize, the Newcomb Prize, for my senior project, which mm-hmm. was entitled The Word of God, the Body of Christ, and the Kingdom of, Kingdom of God, the Church as Divine Presence in the World. And it was really important to me to help us understand God's presence in our lives, kind of along the theme of when I felt that call to ministry and I wanted people to believe that God loves us even when we're going through hard times. Mm-hmm. And my my understanding through all my studies at Vanderbilt um, and biblical studies, etc., is that what Christ was really talking about is that we're to help people learn to experience God's presence in us and in the world and in our lives, and we're to be part of that, we're to become part of that. And the Church is to become part of that, sharing God's presence. Very, very interesting. In your studies, in your pursuit of that part of your life, one of the things that I read about in your book, there's some sort of connectivity with the gift, in in other words. You mentioned something about your grandmother was gifted in some ways. So please share that with us. Um, The story about my grandmother was really that she had a mystical experience that she never told anyone else about until Mm -hmm. she told me when I was in college. And that was just so different than my mom, who was was her mother. Um, My mom, who was very logical, she had a Master of Science in Nursing from Yale, Um, Yale University, and uh, my mom had to be logical about everything, but her own mother, I guess, would have never told her about this. When my grandmother was 10 years old, which was in 1912, her father died, and she, after he died, she was out on the front porch of their house, and back in the horse and carriage days, she Mm -hmm. saw a horse and carriage pass in front of her house. And her father, who was deceased, was actually sitting on the front of that horse and carriage. And as he passed, he turned and looked at her and then went on. And she never told anyone about it. In our society, you know, people would go, oh, you're crazy. That's not real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but as a minister, I know I've had people have lots of experiences around mm-hmm. a loved one's death. And now as an energy healer and life coach, um, I know that people have experiences around loved ones' deaths that can't be explained by traditional Western science, but can absolutely be explained by what I would call the science of spirituality. Very interesting. How were you introduced to the study of Eastern spirituality? Well, thank you for asking. Um, after I graduated from Vanderbilt Divinity School, I started serving churches, first as a minister of education, and then, um, well, once I got ordained as a minister of education and associate minister in a church in Lansing, Michigan. And a church member came to me and said, I just took this healing class and from these people who came over from England, and they're going to teach this meditation class next week, and you have to take it. And, you know, I was a young widow and single mom. My kids were school age, and I was the associate minister of a church, so I didn't control my schedule. But the senior minister was fine with my clearing my schedule that week. A church member volunteered to watch my kids for me, 
And so every evening that next week, I was able to study something called Raja Yoga Meditation, which is part of the yoga philosophy or yoga approach to spirituality. And at the time, I was also reading a book that really changed my life. The book is Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. And when I first started reading the book, Johnny, um, by this enlightened guru from India who mm-hmm. lived in the first part of the 20th century, I started reading it, and I was like, oh my gosh, there are too many miracles. I can't read This can't be true. I can't believe it, you know? So I closed yeah. the book. I stopped reading it. And then I realized I was not practicing multicultural respect. I mean, he's an Indian gentleman, you know, from a completely different mm-hmm. culture, a different somewhat different time period. And I realized, you know, from my childhood, I needed to practice multicultural respect and believe that he was telling his truth, and his truth was somehow in the direction of the truth. And so I started rereading it from that place of multicultural respect. Mm -hmm. And Johnny, that made all the difference in the world. I started opening up to it and realized that there are many, many people who have mystical experiences. There are many people who've experienced miracles. There are gurus like him who've created miracles or, you know, miracles have happened through them, however you want to say Mm it. And my whole life shifted. And, And that class, the meditation class, was in that same tradition of yoga philosophy. And so when I started practicing the techniques, it started creating um, gradually mystical experiences for me. It took, you know, like over 10 years for me to really start having mystical experiences, but I I was open to them. Did you experience a conflict between the two disciplines? Because here you have Christianity, in essence, is very, very focused on the fact that there's nothing outside the God rail, so to speak. You're talking about just Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and then you got God. And perhaps depending on the division of Christianity where you believe in angels and God in angels and so forth. So how does that play into the equation? Well, first of all, at Vanderbilt Divinity School, I was exposed to the Gnostic Gospels and other Gospels that never made it into the Bible. Mm -hmm. So I was exposed to the idea that there were a variety of approaches to Christianity from the very beginning. Different people understood Jesus Christ differently. I mean, we see it in the four Gospels, where John is actually a very mystical Gospel, and when we try to take the Gospel of John literally, um, it doesn't really work, because Mm -hmm. it's the mystical understanding of Christ. It's a universal, cosmic understanding of Christ. And so to say, you know, that Jesus as the human being slash Christ is the only way to heaven is a misunderstanding of what that's saying. Mm-hmm. It's the, the Christ consciousness that Jesus brought to us that we are to receive in our own minds that connects us with God. That Christ consciousness is what Paramahansa Yogananda wrote about in Autobiography of a Yogi Mm -hmm. that helped me understand the message of Jesus Christ 
in a whole new way that made sense to me as nothing else ever had. Remember, I always wanted to know why, 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 why. Right. By the time right. I got yes, by the time <laughs> I got to the middle of autobiography of a yogi, I was like, oh my gosh, he explains Jesus and his miracles better than anybody else that I've ever read, and how he could do it. It was, you know, in essence, comparing Jesus to a guru who's able to work through his consciousness at the quantum level is actually mm-hmm. basically what Paramahansa Yogananda was writing. The gurus work at that quantum level, and that made sense to me because that's sort of the link between science and spirituality, that at the quantum level, consciousness seems to be able to change things. And so tying it all together, if God is a form of consciousness in the universe and energy in the universe, it's at that quantum level that miracles occur. Mm-hmm. It's at mm-hmm. the quantum level that things can shift through our consciousness, through consciousness, period, through God's consciousness, that at the quantum level things can shift and miracles do occur. Fascinating. During that period of time, you went through several processes within yourself in terms of through an experience which is totally unique because you have that curiosity-driven mind that helped you to really tap into the resources that you have. Can you describe to us the riveting moment you received the enlightened vision? Well, thank you. Um, It's a little (laughs) hard to talk about publicly because it was just this amazing, amazing experience. Um, I had, as I said, I had started to have mystical visions, and a few times during meditation, I had—I I do need to set this up a little bit to help understand it. A few times, I had during meditation experienced myself rising up a column of foggy white light. I don't know how to describe it any other terms. When I would rise up that column of foggy white light during meditation, I would see this circular opening, and a couple times I saw the feet of what I consider to be the ascended masters like Jesus Christ, Mother Mary, Paramahansa Yogananda, Buddha, and others, um, around the circular opening as though I was at the feet of the masters. And, you know, those times, a couple times, I was just thrilled to be at the feet of the masters. And then in May 2010, I was going through a really, really tough time financially in my life. I was working a very tiny part-time job, I was writing my first book, and I had plenty of time to meditate, so I started having more and more mystical experiences, um, one of which was I was aware of someone inside me, as it were, I know that sounds crazy, but getting me to Mm -hmm. laugh at myself, and Mm -hmm. I would hear this laughing inside myself. Um, You know, I didn't have a lot of money, but for instance, my one expensive meal of the day was a highly nutritional shake, and one time the shake went flying all over the place, and the laughing was there, and I got it. I was just supposed to laugh at myself, you know. Um, And it it came to a head one week in May of 2010 when I had started a website to try to sell healthy products online, and I'd wasted so much money ignorantly trying to do this. And this one Monday, the bank wanted money, the IRS wanted money, and there was no money for me to pay the bank or the IRS. And that Monday afternoon, I just laughed. I said, you know, God, I need you to do something because I don't know what to do. I just, you know, I let go. I just laughed. And I was like, you know, I just 
you're going to do something because I don't know what to do. And that little shift in me of letting go and just trusting instead of going into victim consciousness was really important. With all those years of being a young widow and single mom, mm-hmm. with other issues like knee problems and stuff, I had become an expert at victim consciousness, which is like the opposite of what we need on the spiritual path. And laughing is one way to overcome the victim consciousness because it's like, hey, whatever's happening, it's cool. It's going to be fine, you know? Um, so that next morning when I sat to meditate, that was Tuesday of this week in May 2010, I started receiving this message about what it means to be a spiritual warrior. Mm-hmm. And I had never liked that term because I am a pacifist. I come from a long line of pacifists in the Christian tradition on my mom's side. I have an ancestor who was in writing do- documented in his obituary as a pacifist during the Civil War. And, you know, I don't think there were too many Americans who were pacifists during the Civil War. Um, but, he, but he was. And um, to me, Jesus literally said, "Do not, thou shalt not kill. And we so often just don't take Jesus as his word on that one. Um, so I didn't like the term spiritual warrior. But it came to me that being a spiritual warrior is not about fighting at, uh, at all. That being a spiritual warrior is about standing to represent the higher power, or God, mm-hmm. and standing against whatever comes our way, standing against injustice, standing against you know, all forms of harm to people, anything negative, and standing for love and goodness and justice and kindness and compassion, standing for all those lovely things. And when I got that, I realized that then being a spiritual warrior is the exact opposite of victim consciousness. Definitely. It's on the flip side. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, because you have to stand strong, right? Right, right. Very much so. so. Yeah, exactly. So that would be the masculine energy, by the way. (laughs) The masculine Mm -hmm. energy of Mm -hmm. spirituality is standing strong against whatever. Not fighting, but just finding that inner strength and drawing up that inner strength. And then when I got that during and understood that during that meditation session, I rose up that call on the foggy white light and I saw Paramahansa Yogananda grinning at me and he threw his arms around me and hugged me. And I was stunned. I was just stunned. I was like, oh my gosh. I had really been concerned that Paramahansa Yogananda might not accept me because I had this, and still do, have this passion for gender-inclusive language, like Mm -hmm. using the word humanity instead of mankind. Um, And what I realized was he was saying that my feminist spirituality wasn't a problem. It was that I needed that masculine strength in my spirituality. And once I got that, he accepted me. And it's like, oh, wow, it was just an incredible experience. <laughs> Wonderful. So then, yes, it was delightful. And then that week, I remember going to the bank and talking with a woman at the bank, and she said, oh, I can reverse those charges that I didn't have the money for. And I talked to the IRS. I don't remember what happened, but mm-hmm. it, it, there wasn't a problem. It turned out there was no problem. And then the next day, um, Thursday, May 27, 2010, I felt moved to meditate in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. And 
I rose up that column of foggy white light, and I was standing there in what I like to call the land of foggy white light, which I know sounds mm-hmm. silly, mm-hmm. but you know, if people want those heavens and cloud, you know, the clouds yeah. in heaven, yeah. there it is. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was standing there, and I couldn't see anyone. So it came to me to pray, please reveal the truth of your being, and then to amend it, please reveal the truth of your being with me. And when I did that, then I saw um, an Asian monk sitting on a low stone wall about maybe 30 yards in front of me in the land of foggy white light or heaven or the astral plane. Mm -hmm. And I went to bow the way you do to a guru, which is raising your hands in prayer position above your head and then to your forehead and then to your heart. And he shook his head at me and... um, bowed in namaste to me so i bowed Mm -hmm. in namaste to him and realized he was honoring me as an equal which just kind of blew my mind because i figured he's got to be an ascended master i wasn't sure Mm -hmm. who he was but he was up here in heaven so he's got to be an ascended (laughs) master so so right so i'm going to shorten the the length of the story i in this vision i was blessed by mother mary by jesus Mm -hmm. christ by mary magdalene I found out Buddha was the one who was getting me to laugh at myself, and he was the one laughing inside me. Um, I I was blessed by Lady Kuan Yin. I was blessed mm-hmm. by High Priest Nolkizadek. And that actually was a very important part of the story in the sense it taught me. When High Priest Nolkizadek blessed me, I became aware that Christian ordination has always been meant to be ordination to Christ consciousness, which is the third eye or brow chakra, um, so in the forehead, um, Christ consciousness, and that we've let that slide all these years, and ordination has been just a recognition of a calling to serve God, but the highest version of that ordination is attaining Christ consciousness. Mm-hmm. And, and at the end of the vision, I had a couple really interesting experiences that led to my, um, one of them led to my working with the seven archangels of the seven rays to do the healing work that I do, um, with the seven rays of creation coming through to bring healing for people and animals as well. So it was an amazing, I'm, sh- I'm cut it short, but I, I can explain <laughs> the details if you want more details. That's a wonderful walkthrough. It is a very personal journey within oneself in truly connecting with a higher power from that perspective. So thank you for sharing that. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest is Reverend Carol Richardson. She is an intuitive healer, life coach, hypnotherapist, inspirational speaker, and the author of four books. We're having a conversation about her spiritual journey her life's mission, and her latest book, Truth and Illusion, The Politics of Spirituality, How One Person's Lie is Another One's Truth. So, Reverend Carol, how did the inspiration for writing Truth and Illusion come about? Uh, Well, thank you for asking, Johnny. I think a lot of us were pretty frustrated in 2016 in our country when we had an incredible divisiveness politically. And it occurred to me there just seemed to be two, at least two, if not many more, versions of truth in our culture. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, one of the obvious splits has been, you know, is global warming climate change real? Is it not real? You know, and I, I love science, so for me, the science behind it is, is really clear. There's just so right. much data, tons of data. Um, but, and also life experience. I mean, those of us who are over 50, and I'm closer to 60 now, it, it's like memories from long ago, <laughs> clearly, you know. <laughs> And I'm thinking, you know, why don't why don't other people remember that winters were actually colder and they didn't bounce back and forth between warm periods as much, you know, back in, you know, 40, 45 years ago. But the, the variations in truth just astounded me. And I realized, you know, what some people are going to believe, some people are just are not. And I, back to the question why, I really wanted to, to know why do we have these different versions of truth? <laughs> why do people have the ability to see reality so differently from each other. And so for me, everything starts with prayer in the sense of, okay, God, please help me understand this. You know, what what's going on here? And so I decided to write a book, and I know, you know, from new at that point, even from experience, that if I start writing a book and pray, God will bring mm-hmm. the answers through. So I chose to title it Truth and Illusion, The Politics of Spirituality and How One Person's Lie is Another One's Truth, because I think people don't realize there really is a political side to spirituality. There are political implications to our religious worldviews and our spiritual worldviews. And by spiritual worldview, I don't necessarily mean religious, because materialism is one form of spiritual worldview in the sense that spiritual means the essence of what is. Mm -hmm. So for those of us among humanity who believe that the material world is all there is, that's a spiritual worldview. It's saying there's nothing spiritual in the sense of God or angels or whatever, and what we see is what we get. So I decided I really wanted to understand from the point of view of the worldview of each of the seven chakras of the body, which is part of the yoga system and philosophy and spirituality is that we have seven energy centers or wheels of light, as the word chakra means, that bring the life force and move the life force energy or spiritual energy around our bodies. And so I, I'm, I was already aware that each world, each chakra has a different worldview, but I didn't really know what they were exactly, and I just prayed, and sure enough, um, that information started coming. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pause right there in case that leads to another question. <laughs> it's a wonderful concept that you delve into, but to boldly say that one person's lie is another person's truth, that's a pretty strong statement. Well, yeah, but even if we take the very concrete example of climate change, there are people who say that is not true. Mm-hmm. I even have two friends who are very intelligent people who mm-hmm. doubt whether or not climate change is real. And, you know, I found myself thinking, they're so smart. How is it that they don't, you know, see the science? You know, it's 97% of scientists, at least, around the world who understand the data as pointing to climate change, you know. Um, So it becomes a question of, well, it must be something else, because Mm -hmm. there are people who believe climate change is not real. So what how do we explain that? You know, right. what is the underlying aspect that makes people see that as not true while other people are just like, well, of course it's true, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's true what you said. But on the other hand, don't you think, Reverend Carroll, that whatever we believe, it's the truth within ourselves because that's what we experience. So I think right. that when you talk about the politics of spirituality and you sort of brought up the fact that the experience that the nation went through in 2016, mm-hmm. I think personally for me is the failure to really give the other person, whether it's, again, whoever is right or wrong, an opportunity to express themselves. Because what happened is that my truth will always be my truth because that's what I experienced. Right. And no one can change that. Now, having said right. that, there is a common truth and a common lie that we together collectively have to come together at the round table to sort it out. Mm-hmm. So what are your yes. thoughts about well, that? Well, I mean, that's a good point. We do need to talk with each other and mostly listen with each other. Um, I would love to help people learn how to listen, you know, mm-hmm. that, and that's actually in the book, um, helping people learn how to t- communicate and listen and yes. talk yes. With, with respect, um, you know, because just because we have a different, different view doesn't mean that someone is less than the other person. It just means their life experience and spiritual development is at a different place than we are. Mm-hmm. And we have no right to judge that because really we're all just human and therefore equal. It really is only God who can enlighten us or help us be more loving or help us be kinder and more respectful to each other. Um, We have to open ourselves to that possibility so that we can hear each other speak. I mean, we have political contests going on right now where there, again, are two very disparate sides um, with someone who's considered, you know, a Christian and... um, Right. you know, there are different versions of Christianity, you know. So <laughs> if one says, no, but this version of Christianity is the absolute truth and there can't be anything else, then right. then that's that person's truth, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And if someone else has a different version of Christianity, then that's going to be their truth. And the, the issue becomes, well, how do we understand people's emotional needs and spiritual needs and the good that everyone is trying to get across. I truly believe that what one of the things God has taught me is that everyone's trying to accomplish some good for someone, even if it's just for themselves. And we have no right to judge that because, you know, I think we talked before the show started, life is just hard, right? (laughs) Um, Right? Definitely. Life is just hard. Mm -hmm. So everybody's just trying to deal with life. And so we need to hear how each person is just trying to deal with life because that really underlies a lot of what we're trying to do in the world because we want things to be good. We all do. We just have a different sense of what is good. So true. Is truth an illusion, an extension of your personal journey in some ways? That's a great question. Um, I'd have to say yes, because I remember in college reading um, about stages of faith. I think it was James Fowler's model of stages of faith. And he wrote that, you know, only a few people get to the Jesus and Buddha level of, I think he threw Buddha in there, I'm not sure, maybe Gandhi level of spirituality. And I remember at the time thinking, yep, I'm just at this regular human level. Um, 
but what I've discovered through the Raj Yoga meditation is that there is this spiritual science that helps us grow in our ability to understand and be more compassionate and be more open-minded and be more... I want to use I want to use but don't want to use the word enlightened because I don't want to mm-hmm. set myself up or anyone else up as more enlightened than anyone else because it's never really about us it's really about our finding ourselves empty the emptier mm-hmm. we get the more the truth and the love and the compassion can flow to us and through us because it's it's almost just necessary to understand that our ego self is what blocks all of this beautiful God stuff. And when we understand that, then it becomes emptying. And and Christian mysticism does this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Original Christian mysticism, and I've met somebody through LinkedIn who's promoting this nowadays, that Christian mysticism is about that emptying of our self that wants things my way, our way, whatever, you know, and <laughs> And limits truth to go, okay, yeah. so God is the only one who's good, and God is doing something bigger here. How do I open up to what God is doing? And when we do that, it's not so much that we're enlightened, it's that the we recognize the good in everyone. Mm-hmm. We recognize that God is in everyone, and that we're all trying to do something good, even if we have misunderstandings about how it's going to affect other people, for instance. So true. I feel like we all basically experience enlightenment every day, every time when we make a decision. Now, mm-hmm. it's true you were concerned about like, oh my gosh, if I say I'm an enlightened one and somebody else says, well, you're not as enlightened as I am. Well, the fact <laughs> that I said that you are not as enlightened as I am, I'm not enlightened. <laughs> but the fact is, in reality, what I'm looking at, the fact that if we are pursuing the lightness of God, so to speak, yes. and the light of God, the life of God, the spirit of God yes. is within us. Every time when we make decisions that is to contribute to someone's happiness for the betterment of mm-hmm. others, mm-hmm. that is an enlightened decision that we make. And the reason why I said that is because there's something happened within you that sort of it's a feeling of elation, a feeling of mm. just wonderful, hey, I did something great, or oh my gosh, I did something wrong. It's just a feeling of is. Yes, that's so true. Well put. Yeah, so I have no intention of claiming to be enlightened. I just am aware that there is this enlightened yeah. consciousness, which, as you said, can come into all of us, and I love how you put that. Um, there's a joy that we experience. I think you used the word elation, mm-hmm. um, which great word. I usually think of it as joy that people naturally feel when we're helping somebody. You know, to me, Mm -hmm. that's a sign of God's presence, that joy, because that means we are in in line with God's intentions, God's will, when we are blessing other people. Mm -hmm. So true. What is the chakra system? (laughs) Okay, (laughs) great. Um, I don't know... Your listeners may go be all across the spectrum in terms of being aware of it, so let me start with some basics. So, again, chakra means wheel of light. It's a Sanskrit word. And the understanding in Asia for thousands of years has been that there's this life force energy. So 
So, for instance, when we hear the the word Tai Chi or the word Qigong, those practices are about moving the life force energy in and around us. And Qi is the word there that represents that energy. There's a healing tradition from Japan called Reiki, where Ki is that word representing the energy. Reiki is spelled R-E-I-K-I. And it, the simplest way to put it may be um, universal life force. So in yoga philosophy, the word is prana. And we breathe in the prana. So we do pranayama breathing. Breathing in the prana is breathing in the life force. Now in the Judeo-Christian tradition, the words may not be the same and may not seem to exist, but they actually do. They're actually hints. So, for instance, in the Hebrew, there's the word ruach, um, which is R-U-A-C-H, which I think it's interesting that it's kind of similar to Reiki. Ruach means breath or wind or spirit of God. So, for instance, in Genesis, where it says the wind of God or the breath of God moved across the face of the waters to create you know, the world, that word is ruach. So it's like saying the very life energy of God came into being here in this, or came into this universe to create it as it was creating it. Mm -hmm. Um, So God breathed or blew the wind or spirit of God into this universe. So it's always been here. In the Christian tradition, we have the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Word there, again, if we try to take it literally, we're going to be working really hard at going, well, what do I need to read in the Bible to know how to live, which is good. I'm not saying don't do that. Do do Mm -hmm. that uh, if you're Christian. Not if you're not Christian. You don't have to do that. I'm not telling anybody (laughs) to do that. I mean, there, there are good words. Like one of the ones I've rediscovered is, in all things, give thanks. Uh, right. incredible how powerful that uh, teaching actually is um, mm-hmm. but Jesus actually meant that vibratory essence as Paramahansa Yogananda calls it the vibratory essence of God the energy consciousness or spiritual uh, aspect of God's being is everywhere and giving us life that's the life force Jesus also um, referred to living water, and because of some mystical experiences I've had, I believe that he meant the same thing. When I went through my Reiki training, um, I had a mystical vision in which I actually heard Jesus saying, this is the living water of which I spoke. And I realized he was saying the Reiki is the living water. Mm-hmm. And I was just in awe of that, and I went home after the class and and reread parts of the Gospel of John, chapters 3 and 4 specifically, and looked at what Jesus had, had said about living water. And at one point he says, out of you shall come forth springs of living water. And I thought, well, Jesus is saying we're all meant to be healers. We're all meant to be able to share this healing life force energy with one another, which is pretty cool, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So... The chakra system just represents that life force or spiritual energy in each of us. And I'm going to add something I wasn't really planning on adding, but it just mm-hmm. came to me, so I'll trust that it's meant. When my late husband died, he his brain aneurysm hemorrhaged, and they kept the doctors kept him physically, quote-unquote, alive, 
for several days, almost a week. Um, but when I would hold his hand, it felt as though something was missing. And actually, when it hemorrhaged, he went into something called decerebrate posturing, which was a horrible sight to see. I won't describe it over the radio. Um, but when he did that, I actually saw what I believe was his soul leave his body. I didn't know that that was a thing. I didn't know that was possible, that you could see a soul leave a body. Um, and I've been with other people who've died since then and did not have that same experience. But I saw a bluish-white vapor. Ri- vapor is the only word I can think of to describe it. Essence, maybe. Rise from a, just above his belly button up. And at the time, my sense was that I was seeing his soul leave his body, but I was so rational back then, I didn't know how to make sense of it. But I, I somehow knew that anyway, even though rationally it didn't make sense. So after that, they intubated him and did surgery and stuff and kept him physically, quote-unquote, alive. But I would hold his hand, and something was missing. And I you know, tried feeling his pulse, and it wasn't his pulse. It was, his heart was still pumping. And so I really didn't know how to make sense of it, but I knew something was gone. And it wasn't until decades later that after I had become a healer, you know, with official training and all that, and after I had done healing a number of times on people, that I realized that I could feel people's life force or spiritual energy in and around their bodies, and that I could feel things going on with their life force energy and spiritual energy, that I realized what I was missing when I held my late husband's hand had been the energy of his soul was gone. Very, very interesting. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Reverend Carol Richardson. She is an intuitive healer, life coach, hypnotherapist, inspirational speaker, and the author of four books. We are having a conversation about her spiritual journey, life's mission, and her latest book, Truth and Illusion, The Politics of Spirituality, How One Person's Lie is Another One's Truth. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Reverend Carol, I'd like for us to talk about the concept of duality. You mentioned that in your book, and I thought that was fascinating in terms of narrowing it down to the various chakras in the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I realized I didn't really answer about chakras. I went a whole new unexpected direction. I'm sure no, no, it was no, no, that's, that's fine. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic because it's all tied into it when we talk mm-hmm. about energy within, and that's God's energy, mm-hmm. the spirit. Right. So you addressed it perfectly because this is something that I personally experienced when my mom passed away and I was fortunate enough to be there with her when she transitioned. So for lack of a better term, and I say this with all due respect with other people who have been in our shoes, that it's a fraternity of its own. It's a very unique experience that really, for the first time, connect you with the spirit of God in some ways. Well, I'm glad you were able to be with your mom when she transitioned, as you put it. That's um, that's a really important experience, I think, for us when we can get to do that with our parents. Yes. Um, so let's see, chakras and duality. So yes. it came to me as I was writing Truth and Illusion that we tend to spend our time on one half of some kind of duality. Either we have a Western... Um, world way of seeing things, or we have an Eastern world view. We have either a masculine male 
worldview or we have a feminine female worldview or we have an intellectual worldview or an intuitive worldview. And it dawned on me that we've got to move past those dualities because, you know, if if consciousness is like divided among humanity, we've probably got to listen to each other in order to access a larger fuller truth because all of us have just little pieces of the truth until full enlightenment anyway um and so we've got to have an understanding of western worldviews and eastern worldviews and north and south and american and african and you know south american and you know all those things and masculine and feminine so the chakra system actually has seven chakras one is it's at the they're all along the spine and then up into the top of the head. Um, so the base chakra or root chakra is at the base of the spine. Then the sacral chakra is below the belly button. Um, the solar plexus is above the belly button. The heart chakra is in the center of the heart. And they're all located along the base of the spine, but they also the energy flows to the, through to the front of our bodies. And the throat chakra is right where you expect the brow chakra or third eye starts at the back of the top of the neck and then flows through to the brow chakra the the brow the eyebrows just above the eyebrows and on the forehead and then the crown chakra is on the top of the head well it came to me that there are feminine and masculine energies for each chakra and that makes sense because there's a a feminine and a masculine channel of energy flow up the spine So people may have heard of kundalini rising. The kundalini is the spiritual energy that rises from the base of our spine to the crown chakra, ultimately. And um, along those paths, there's also feminine energy and masculine energy. But I had never heard anyone explain these. So I just prayed, and I was like, okay, help me understand the feminine energies, God, and the masculine energies of each chakra. So each chakra has these energies, which could also be considered virtues because they're of God. So I'll just give a couple examples. For instance, in the sacral chakra, the energy, the masculine energy there is of self-discipline, of power over ourself. Again, that's that spiritual warrior standing strong energy. I'm going to exercise my spiritual discipline and stand up and be strong, you know, and make sure I discipline myself. Um, the feminine energy of the sacral chakra is that um, sharing sort of equality, um, connection with other people in the sense of we're all equal and we want fairness for everyone. So it's sort of the play by the rules in order to be fair to everyone kind of energy. Um Moving up, I'm going to skip the solar plexus and go to the heart chakra. The feminine energy mm-hmm. of the heart chakra is compassion, and the masculine energy of the heart chakra is courage. And then moving up to the the throat chakra, the feminine energy would be the intuitive energy, and the masculine energy would be the intellectual energy. And I know that people may want to say, but wait, is an <laughs> intellect in the brow chakra... I understand, but what came to me intuitively was that these are the two energies because of the two carotid arteries that we make a primary choice in the throat chakra to be either primarily intellectual or primarily intuitive, but we can also choose both. And the balanced balanced and whole, complete, full version of each of us as a human being is when we um, 
and gender, the flow of feminine and masculine energies in us. So it's not about being the perfect man or the perfect woman. It's about enhancing the flow of the feminine and masculine spiritual energies in us so that we can be strong and gentle, so that we can be courageous and compassionate, so that we can be intuitively enlightened and intellectually um, (laughs) enlightened as well. So, And then we reach up to the brow chakra, which is the seat of what may be called Christ consciousness or Buddha consciousness or enlightened consciousness, and then up to the crown where what happens is that access to the mind of God, if you will, and people who fully energize the crown chakra become self-realized, and then what in the yoga philosophy is called attain God consciousness. I personally do not yet know what it's like to attain that, but I've just had glimpses of there's this oneness consciousness that we can attain that is beyond our limited human consciousness. Very, very interesting. Thank you. We can only get there if we allow the flow of the feminine and the masculine energies through us. Very interesting. How does fear and love fit into the equation? Such a great question. Thank you. Um, (laughs) So fear actually blocks our spiritual growth, and love actually enhances our spiritual growth. I know there's an old biblical saying, you know, it's the fear of God is what really matters, but to me that's somehow a misunderstanding. If we begin through meditation really, or through our life experiences, really to experience God, we will discover that God isn't this like separate being. God is the energy of unconditional love. God is the intention of unconditional love. God is peace. God is the energies of peace. God is joy and bliss. God is this amazing oneness of all this beautiful love, peace, and bliss, and joy. And when we begin to experience those, the compassion of God, etc., we fall in love with God. It's impossible not to love God when we realize that God is not this angry male godfather or grandfather or father figure who's going to get angry at us if we sin. God is this unconditionally loving parent, mother and father, who loves us unconditionally no matter what. And when we experience God this way, all we can do is go, oh my gosh, God, I love you. We don't have to use the word God. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to make atheists believe that there's a God, like the Christian God or the Muslim God or whatever, or necessarily use Shiva or Shakti or um, Buddha or Brahman or whatever. It's it's not about the words. It's about that energy of love, and all of us have that energy of love in us. But when we block it with fear, we block the flow of love to ourselves and to others. We block the flow of truth, because ultimately God is truth, and ultimately God is unconditional love. So if we're in this fear space, we block off the life force energy that keeps us alive and in touch with love and peace and bliss. Very, very interesting. What would you like for the readers to gain from reading Truth and Illusion? Well, again, thank you for asking. What I've experienced from readers is they've told me that they understand themselves better, um, they understand other people better. My first reader, I asked her to read it just for feedback before I'd actually finished the book, and she said, 
oh my gosh, I used to be so judgmental about other people, but now I understand. <laughs> people just act act out because of fear, and now I feel compassion mm-hmm. for them because they just have so much fear. So now I love them, and I understand them better. <laughs> so I thought that was the perfect response. If truth and illusion can help us move from judging each other to loving and understanding each other, to me that's perfect. Wonderful. Where can someone go to buy your books, get more information about you, and keep up with your latest happenings? Well, Truth and Illusion is on Amazon.com. So are my other books. Um, Mornings with the Masters um, is the other more recent book. So Mornings with the Masters and Truth and Illusion, they're all on Amazon.com. And I think LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me. Carol Richardson, um, I'm not sure if I have MDiv, MPH, but... Certainly, Carol, C-A-R-O-L, and middle initial E, Richardson, MDivMPH on LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, my website is highestharmony.guru, G-U-R-U. Um, it's not very full right now. I've had some issues with website, but um, highestharmony.guru is my website. And um, I will look forward to people connecting. I love to do distance healing. It doesn't matter if you're on the same continent or not, um, distance healing, distance coaching, happy to work with people around the world. Wonderful. Please share with us your work with movement programs for children and youth. Uh, well, thank you for asking. I actually did develop a mindfulness movement and meditation class for kids um, that I've only done once. I Then I started substitute teaching in Montgomery County, Maryland, and you basically have to Sign, not exactly sign, but you're, you have to be clear that you cannot compete with using your position in order to promote yourself financially. So I've had to stop promoting it locally because um, I'm substitute teaching, and I'm finding that substitute teaching is not only a great way to um, reach kids when I'm at my best moments, um, but also to work on myself when I'm not in my best moments <laughs> because it can be so incredibly frustrating. Um, so it uh, might be a path to enlightenment, Johnny, if <laughs> we try to improve ourselves because, oh boy, it can be tough. But um, yeah, I truly believe children need to learn mindfulness and yoga-type stretching and meditation techniques because our society has such a dearth of spirituality, and I especially experience it in schools, not that I can do anything about it in schools per se, but I have become aware, you know, our schools prepare kids for adult life in our culture, but I don't think schools prepare our kids for life. And I feel the sadness about this, you know, kids don't learn about wisdom and compassion and how to get along and, you know, the importance of honesty and all that stuff that traditional cultures, you know, passed on to children, and we've lost that with our secular culture. It's not about any one religion, but it is about the deep spirituality of humanity, that we we need love, we need compassion, we need wisdom. So the programs I've designed are about helping kids get that. I just need to find a place to use them that's not Montgomery County right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful, though. I think you have to start at a very young age to understand certain concepts in life. And this is about living. That's all. I mean, when it's all said and done, being equipped with the right formula for living successfully. 
that's the way I look at it. By the way, as we close the show, since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Well, thank you. I love that aspect from your book. Um, Yes, thank you. So the secret that I've been taught by the Ascended Masters is just to know and trust in every moment that all is well. And that can seem really hard to do when things are going haywire or seem to be going haywire in life or feel really bad or we feel bad, but the ultimate nature of God is this state of being in which all is well. And when we learn to trust and affirm in and through every situation that all is well despite the appearances, miracles can occur. It's like everything can shift because we're trusting God when we trust all is well. And I have not yet gotten to where I've been able to do it all the time, but I can tell you when I've been in difficult circumstances and truly trusted and kept repeating to myself, all is well, all is well, things, you know, it's been miraculous. It's like there's no more problem anymore. (laughs) I don't know how this works, but it's like God is showing up because I'm saying, yes, God, I know you are all is well, and you show up. And so that is what I invite people to do, just to affirm and to know and to trust. Because God is, all is well. Fantastic. Reverend Carol, thank you for the wonderful recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, December 19. My guests will be Dr. Mary Halnick and her husband, Dr. Ronald Halnick. They are world-renowned pioneers and leaders in the field of spiritual psychology and the founding faculty and co-directors of the University of Santa Monica. Doctors Mary and Ronald and I will be having a conversation about their latest release, Remembering the Light, a course in soul-centered living. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Reverend Carroll, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again. Merry Christmas to you and your loved ones and have a blessed day. Thank you, Johnny. You as well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. number one number two employee leave a message at the hi jamie it's you jamie don't be alarmed but i think there's a guy following you maybe we should get that guard dog we talked about nothing too scary maybe like a bichon with an attitude you know progressive's collision insurance covers injured dogs and cats at no extra cost so wait the guy stood up when i stood up he's on the phone he's looking right at me oh wait it's just my reflection don't tell anyone about this Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Pet coverage not available in New Hampshire and North Carolina. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's you, Jamie. Don't be alarmed, but I think there's a guy following you. Maybe we should get that guard dog we talked about? Nothing too scary. Maybe like a Bichon with an attitude? You know, Progressive's collision insurance covers injured dogs and cats at no extra cost, so... Wait, the guy stood up when I stood up. He's on the phone. He's looking right at me. Oh, wait, it's just my reflection. Don't tell anyone about this. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Pet coverage not available in New Hampshire and North Carolina.